Good morning. You can turn to your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11. I'm excited to finally be back in the pulpit after a couple weeks off and to uh, share the word with you and to reflect on what it means for us today. And uh, we're starting a series. Um, and I didn't want to like start a series and have Dave Strope here or whatever, so I put him first. And so we're doing uh, a series on body life. And we're going to look at kind of body life primarily from 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And, and what does it mean to be in the body of Christ over the next several weeks? And uh, actually in April, um, our State Association of Churches is hosting a conference here, April 24th and 25th. And April 24th, they're also, it's the same theme of body life. And so you could put it on your calendar if you want. We'll have a special speaker on Monday night, the 24th of April. You can come and hear uh, pastors talking about body life in general as well. Um, because it, body life is interesting because we are called, we are said that we are in the body of Christ. But what does that mean? And what does it look like to be in the body? We know from 1 Corinthians that it says not many wise, not many noble are called, right? That, that there's not, most of us aren't the, these spectacular people, which is a, a really nice way of saying, hey, we're all a little weird, right? Like when it comes right down to it, we're all a little bit off. Like, like you're like, well, I, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily choose to be with these people necessarily. Why, why are we here? Why are we together? Um, and, and so when we're a little weird, a little off, sometimes you're like, well, how are we supposed to all fit together if we're a little weird, a little off, a little um, uh, different from one another? How is this supposed to work if we're supposed to, to love one another and, and be close to one another? And at the same time, we, we live in a culture, right, that uh, often gets into, uh, we're just, we're, we're looking for pleasure. I was, I was watching a, a short informational uh, video about just our brains and how they work. And uh, our culture overall, it's called, the pleasure is called dopamine, right? It's the idea that if you get a hit of dopamine, you feel pleasure. And, and, and so we have phones, right, that you can get on and you can get these little hits of pleasure, especially in today's world. It's usually through like TikTok or these real vid short little videos, right? Like you get a hit and you can get a hit like every 15 seconds, just like boom, boom, boom. And the, the point of the uh, video was saying your brains are wired to, to want that, but your brains are also wired to find equilibrium. And, and so in the process of, of getting pleasure and then getting back to equilibrium, your brain doesn't just go back to equilibrium after pleasure. It goes uh, actually into pain before it goes back into equilibrium. And so they were saying, look, sometimes when you're doom scrolling, and what, what happens, right, we know this, if we've lived long enough, is the, the things that give us pleasure over time give us, give us less and less pleasure, right? Like, you can eat a bowl of ice cream, but if, if you eat a bowl of ice cream, you know, every hour, well, first of all, that'd be a really bad idea, you know what I mean? But after a while, the pleasure of the taste of ice cream becomes not so full of pleasure, right? It's because, it's not because the ice cream has changed, it's because the way your brain is processing the taste of ice cream changes over time. 
And, and their point is actually what happens is, in our, especially the way our culture is wired to, to, to have a search for all these hits for pleasure, is over time the, these hits cause less and less joy. And actually, we get into more and more pain, right? Because it's trying to pull us back to some sort of equilibrium. And so, I don't know about you, but I found myself kind of, you know, it's almost doom scrolling through stuff like, oh, what's the next thing? The problem with that is that over time, it actually makes things worse and worse and worse. And you wonder, well, why can't I get that feeling again? Well, it's because, because you need to stop what you're doing. And, and actually step back from seeking pain or pleasure and, and, and seek something else in order to find pleasure again. Now, how does that relate to the body of Christ? Well, in, in the process of, of being together and loving one another, relationships are a lot, of like that, a, a lot like that too. We have pleasure in them. They can have some painful moments as well, but we're usually kind of seeking some kind of equilibrium. Like, I just want to know that I'm okay to an extent. Some of us, and I know who you are in this auditorium because I know most of you, that you actually like the excitement of stirring it up a little bit. You know what I mean? You know, certain couples you watch and you're like, well, they just like to have a little fun with each other. You know what I mean? Well, we're going to stir the pot a little bit in the process here. Um, and, and, and there's this, this equilibrium that we're finding, and all of us are a little bit different on this. But in the process, we all have, in a sense, hidden demands that come at us, hidden, hidden ways that we're like, well, I want this out of you because I, this is what I want for my life. I want these types of reactions from you or, or this type of uh, thing that I want from you. And what's interesting here is we think about the body of Christ and what are we supposed to, in a sense, receive from the body of Christ? This is, in Matthew 11, we find one passage where Jesus specifically talks about his heart. Like what his heart is all about. Like what he really wants. And we find it in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. And I thought it was an appropriate passage as we're, we're thinking about the body of Christ and what it means to be part of the body, that we have to understand, first of all, what Christ's heart is like. Because if we're within the body of Christ, just like our bodies reflect our hearts, so Christ's body should reflect his. So the big idea this morning is within Christ's body, we reflect his, it should be heart, to one another. And what does that look like? Well, there's a group of us guys are going through kind of a leadership study. It's called Leadership Journey. And uh, we're, we're, uh, one of the lessons we discussed this passage, and we were wrestling with it. Because it's talking about how Christ is gentle, and yet he has a yoke. And how do these two go together? And it's really fascinating. But here in this passage, we have Jesus telling us what his heart is. Not just who he is inside, but how he wants to be to other people. Let's read it together in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. It says, At that time Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. 
All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Spirit, I mean, except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here we have Jesus kind of giving us his heart. That He's saying, I am gentle and lowly in heart. That this is his, his default mode in how he wants to relate to people is that he is gentle and lowly. And if that's true for himself, it should be true for his body as well. And that means that we have this space for grace, that, that God has worked in us, he's chosen us, even though, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, not many noble, not many wise, not many are called, yet we are also, we are called. We're chosen by God. We're redeemed. We're forgiven. We're, we're adopted into God's family. This is the space that we're in because he wants to share this community with us. And so in this sense, gentleness is the heart of what he's about. And so I want to look at Christ's heart and how we reflect it in the body this morning by looking kind of first of all at this idea of his gentleness. He is gentle and we can share his gentleness. He is gentle and we can share his gentleness. Notice again it says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Gentleness. Gentleness is the idea of, not of no demands, but of, of the idea that I'm not harsh with my demands. Does that, does that make sense? It's not the idea of, of I'm not firm, I don't have any boundaries, I don't have any set, set things that are, that are important to me, that I'm not willing to give up. But it's the idea that, that I'm not harsh with those. I'm not demanding, in that sense, with those. That I'm compassionate with weakness. That I'm not divisive over unexpected differences. Gentleness has that idea of, 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 of being willing to sheath your steel in velvet, so to speak. To be able to, 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 to understand and operate in such a way that you understand that someone is maybe not exactly where you are and yet you want to bring them along, that you want to nurture and be gentle with weaknesses and challenges and heartaches. Christ here says he is gentle. That is, he doesn't, he's not gentle for the sake of getting to somewhere else, but that's, that he is gentle, that his, his heartbeat is to be gentle even when we are weak. This, yesterday morning we were eating breakfast and Saturday mornings are kind of relaxed so the, kind of the cereal was out there and people were grabbing over and um, we had several different types of cereal and I grabbed one that I wanted to eat and I poured a full bowl of it and I, I, I sat down and one of my sons was like, what are you doing? You're having a whole bowl of just that one type of cereal? Because, you see, my, my wife has trained my kids, you know, just take some from one type of cereal and some from another and kind of mix them together that, so that you don't get all of one thing. Well, 
that's how, she, that's how she, we've raised our kids, but I was not raised that way. You, you, you understand the problem, right? Like, if I'm going to eat a bowl of cereal, I'm not going to mix cereals. I'm just going to grab one, eat it, and then if I want another bowl, eat that kind of cereal. I'm not going to mix the two together. It's gross, in my opinion. <laughs> but they all think it's normal, okay? And, and so... In some, some ways, my son was shaming me, like, hey, what, what's wrong with you? Why are you being so weird? And I'm like, what's, what's weird here, right? What's weird? I'm just eating a bowl of cereal, one type of cereal. There's nothing wrong with this, you know? And, but when we run into weirdness, right, we, we have the temptation to, to, to in some way, to say, you're, you're, you're shameful, you're different. And, and Jesus is gentle when he runs into differences. He's not about shaming us. He's about welcoming us and helping us to to understand his love for us first, even if you might say, hey, let's do this a little different next time. Does, Does gentleness mean that there's no punishment for sin? And the answer to that is, of course not, because even in the passage, right, if we go back up just one paragraph. Jesus, this whole, this whole chapter is about who is Jesus. It starts off in the beginning of, of, of the chapter where John it sends his disciples to Jesus because he's in prison now, and he's just, he's confused. You're like, how did I preach that you were the Messiah and then end up in prison? You know what I mean? Like, he's confused, and he's like, are you the real guy? And so he sends his disciples to be like, hey, are, who, are you the Messiah, or are we looking for someone else? And Jesus is like, I heal the sick and I cure the lame and I raise the dead and don't be ashamed of me, you know. Again, because he had, it's, John is confused and he's like, there's difference here between what I expected and the way things really are. And Jesus is saying, this is who I am and this is who John is. And he's not, he goes on and he talks about John. He's ultimately, he says, look, even though John is confused right now, he's one of the greatest human beings who's ever lived, right? He's gentle, even with John. But he does turn. In verse 20, he says, then he began to announce this, denounce the cities where most of his works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more honorable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And he goes on and does the same thing to a couple other cities. He's like, just because he's gentle and he deals with the, the, the expectations and the realities of life gently doesn't mean that he doesn't have a hard line where he's going to judge sin. Revelation 21 says, He who is seated on the throne, that is Jesus, said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give the spring of life of water without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Look, if you're faithless, if you're sexually immoral, 
if you're an idolater, you will be punished for your sin. It's only those who realize their need. <laughs> but he says, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The, the point of salvation and the point of Jesus' gentleness is not that he doesn't have, like, this is who I am, and this is holiness, and this is righteousness, this is goodness, and I'm not going to sacrifice that. He's not sacrificing it, but he's willing to say, do you, do you see your need for it? Do you see that you, you need it more than you need what you think is best? Notice verse 25, again, that I read. I said, he, Jesus says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. You've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Here's, here's the key. Gentleness is, is for those who realize that they don't have it all figured out. Gentleness is, is, is not for those who think, well, I've got it all figured out. I know what's best. I'm, I'm the one who's got it all, that I can run my life the way I want to run it with my demands and make my kingdom happen. Jesus is saying, he's the king. He's the one who can rule. He's the one who can provide. He wants his body to be those who accept his rule. Not be a cancer that does not. And so Christ both defends his father's honor and also defends his own body by being gentle with us, but delivering wrath on those who don't. But even in the mix here, you notice gentleness mixed in with judgment. He says, verse 22, I, will tell, I tell you, it will be more honorable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. That's an amazing thing to think about, isn't it? That God, even in his judgment, says, well, you didn't know something or <laughs> you didn't have everything, so it's going to be different for you. How He doesn't explain how. He just says it's different. Because gentleness is not something that you can predict it's, it's the amazing thing, is in the mix of unpredictability, it's unpredictable. <laughs> what does it look like to be gentle? Because you would say, well, okay, pastor, you know, I've got a, I've got a normally fairly gentle spouse, they're gentle, but sometimes they're not. And, and when they're gentle, when they're ungentle, then I, I should have the right to be ungentle back. <laughs> but, but isn't that the point of gentleness? is that in the midst of the unexpected, well, they're not gentle for some reason, you don't maybe understand why, gentleness says, okay, it's okay. <laughs> let's, let's, let's work with what we've got here. Let's figure out what's going on. Let's, let's, let's solve the problem. We, we want this compassionate treatment of one another. But we're even compassionate when others don't treat us compassionately all the time. Galatians 6, verse 1. It's just different passages where gentleness is brought up in the New Testament. Because talking about the body of Christ. Because if Christ is gentle, then his body should be gentle as well. Galatians 6, 1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. <laughs> when you find sin, deal with it gently. Directly to pastors in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. 
correcting his opponents with gentleness. 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Even to wives dealing with husbands who can be harsh and unbelieving, First Peter 3, 4, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Gentleness is something, is, is something that Jesus is. He, he deals with our weaknesses. He deals with the unexpectednesses of life for us. And he's gentle with us. He doesn't sit there and be like, what? You know, you should have done, you should have known better. You should have done better. What's wrong with you? I'm going to, until you get your you know, stuff together, then, you know, I'm out of here. No, he's gentle with us. He stays connected to us. He's, he helps us in our weaknesses. And this says not only that he's gentle, but also that he's lowly. And you can point number two, he is lowly, and we can share lowliness as well. Lowliness is an interesting word. It's translated in most other places in the New Testament, humble. It's talking about humility. For instance, James chapter 4, verse 6 says, Therefore God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's the, that idea of being willing to, in a sense, rank yourself, not as the top person, right? That, that willingness to, to be lowly. I was... Um, there's a, a book out on this specific passage by Dane Ortland called Gentle and Lowly. If you, if you don't have this book, we do have this available. It'll be in the, in the back after the service. You can have one for free if you'd like a copy of it, Gentle and Lowly. And in the book, he, he makes the point that lowliness in, in, that, in this sense is the ability to be accessible. <laughs> like you're willing to be accessible to those who, who need you. And so the, the idea of lowliness is that you're not creating barriers like I'm, I'm too important for this or I'm too, too, too busy to take this on. It's not saying that you don't have limits and you can't solve everyone's problems. It's just saying that you're accessible, you're willing to do this. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And, and he's just saying, are you willing to clothe yourself with humility Romans 12, 16 says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty or proud, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Interesting here that that idea of being wise in your own sight is present in this word as well as in the word for gentleness. This, this idea of, you know, that, hey, I've got it all figured out, that I know what's best. If you would just listen to me, if you just let me do my thing, that everything would be okay, is different than how Christ operates. It's not that he doesn't know everything. It's just he's willing to be accessible and listen to our concerns. Here you have the idea of, of I, I, I'm, I, I'm willing to deal with what some people might consider minor or unimportant or things that don't bring status to me. Not a, well, you don't fit into my paradigm for a friend, so. <laughs> in our world today, of course, there's differences of, between people. Some of them just arise for various reasons. Some of them are. But the world tends to say, well, if you have these kind of statuses, then you're important. If you don't, you don't. You're not important, right? 
One of those is often money, right? If you have money, you're important. If you don't, you're not so important. Jesus here is saying, I'm lowly in heart. The status of money doesn't doesn't matter to me. You you, you might be in a situation where you're talking to someone and, and you realize they're vastly more wealthy than you. They're considering sending their kids to Europe, for instance, and they don't know whether to send them to France or to Sweden for a summer, you know, and you're like, uh, that's not even on my radar. <laughs> in that situation, how do you operate? How, how, because you could say, well, we just can't, we can't ever get together. We can't ever, Jeremiah Burroughs in a book that I would recommend to you, it's, it's a Puritan book, it was written quite a while ago, I don't remember exactly when, it's called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. One of the things he says is every situation in life has struggle enough that people want out of it. That's his point. That was one of his points about contentment. Every status or situation in life has struggle enough that people want out of it. Think about your life for a second. When you focus solely on the struggles of it, you want out. You're like, hey, I, if you're focusing on how old you are, you're like, I want out. You know what I mean? I wish I couldn't be, I don't want really money here. Sometimes it's, you're focusing maybe on, well, if, if you do have money, you may think, well, I've got to think about retirement, and I've got to think about this, and how do I provide my kids, and how to, you know, the struggles of that. And you're like, I want out. I don't really want to deal with this. Others might say, well, I, I, I mean, I've got health issues, and I've got this problem or that problem, and, and we, we all have issues in our life where we're thinking, I want out. I don't want this. And yet, I guarantee you that someone is looking at your situation thinking, well, that's not, <laughs> I wish I had their situation. They don't know your situation fully, obviously. But they think, I wouldn't mind that situation, you know. What is it about us that we, we tend to look at one another and think, well, they've got it better than me. And that's Jeremiah's basic point about contentment is if we focus on what other people have and all the problems that we have, then we're, we're, we're never going to be lowly. We're never, because we're always searching for something we don't have. Loneliness is the idea of, I'm, I'm fine where I'm at. You know what I mean? I'm good here. I, I realize there's struggles. I realize there's problems, but I have what I need. And, and what is Jesus saying here? In a sense, he's saying, I have what I need. I have the Father. And what we should be saying is we have what we need. We have Jesus. We have his love. We have his compassion. We have his spirit. We have his help. And in the midst of struggle, rather than focusing on getting ahead, as some people do, or maybe just getting to help people in the midst of, we we can enjoy the fact that we can find Jesus in the midst of everything that's going on. That he is lowly, he's accessible to us. He's willing to listen to our struggles and not give up on us. He's willing to, to hear our desire to get out and flee our problems and still say, I'm here with you, I'm not gonna leave, I'm not gonna forsake you, I am here with you. I ran across this illustration, and uh, I think it's appropriate, right? So, uh, 
I can, I can help you understand the difference between those who are over 40 and under 40. Those who are under 40 don't view this as a dangerous situation. <laughs> they think, I can get down, just no problem. Those who are over 40 think, man, you are in serious risk right now. <laughs> like, like, you can hurt yourself, and no one wants to twist the knee and go to work and be out for weeks just because you twist the knee, get up, and get up in a stupid chair, right? Okay, so I'll, I'll help those who are all under, over 40 by getting down carefully and because I'm over 42, and I view that as somewhat dangerous. <laughs> but the, the point is, is that we're all in different situations, and we all face different things, and we all see different risks. And Jesus is lowly. He doesn't look at your risks and he's like, who cares? You're an idiot, you know. He's thinking, no, I get it. I'm there with you. I'm willing to listen to you. I care. And in the body of Christ, we are both gentle. We should be gentle as he is gentle. And we should be lowly. That is, we should be accessible, caring, willing to listen in the midst of people's struggles. Because as he says here, come to me all who are labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Well, how if he's gentle and lowly? How, then why do we have a yoke? <laughs> it's a great question. Uh, keep going here. I think he put the verses in, but point number three, his yoke is easy. We can rest together. What is his yoke? What is this idea? Like, because to me, a yoke doesn't seem very easy. A yoke doesn't seem very gentle. And, and part of the answer here is just, well, you, you have some yoke, okay? There's someone that you're submitting to. There's someone that you're following. There's someone that you're saying is, uh, like, you're acknowledging, I can't rule myself. Even, or you're saying, I can rule myself. I can figure out my problems. I can handle my problems on my own. I'm good. Let me do my thing. And Jesus is saying, my yoke is accepting my rule. My, my yoke is realizing that I'm the Messiah, that I'm the one who's going to solve the problems, that you don't have to solve the problems on your own, or you don't have to look to someone else to solve the problems, that, that I can be that for you. I can be the one who's going to provide for you. I'm going to be the one who's going to deliver you. I'm going to be the one who's going to, to walk beside you and to help you. This, this is me. You finally found the person you're looking for. That's really his yoke. It's the idea that he, this is him. You, you can rest now. You, you've, you've found your Savior. You've found your Lord. You've found the one who will provide for you. And that, in a sense, means that we take up the yoke and learn from him. What is he saying? He's saying, learn to be dependent on him. Learn to rest in his grace. Learn to accept that he's in charge, that he knows what's best, even when we're confused and hurting. Because we have found 
rest for our souls. Well, and you, we, if you're asked, if you know scripture, you might say, well, wait a second, wait a second. He's saying his yoke is easy and his burden is light here, but he says in other places, I don't know exactly where, that take up your cross and follow me. Like, okay, which is it? Like, take up a cross, which doesn't sound very easy, <laughs> right? And here, take up my yoke and learn from me, which is a good question, actually. And it, it's, it's fascinating that that passage in Matthew is the previous passage. If you turn, or is it here? Yes. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34 says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set up a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Which is, again, go back. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So, so that sounds hard to me. You know what I mean? I don't know about you. That sounds hard. That's a whole lot different than take up, you know, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How do we put these two passages together? Well, if the crucial issue in yoke is, who is Jesus to you? It's the same thing here, right? Because the question in this passage is, who is Jesus to your family, in a sense? Like, you think, well, my family's the one who's going to provide for me. My family's the one where I was going to, I'm going to find love. My family's the one where I'm going to find meaning and purpose in life. And Jesus is saying, wait a second. That's not ultimately where you're going to find meaning and purpose in life. It's in me. Like, start with me first and then work to family. But if you start with family, then we're always going to be in conflict. Because I'm going to ask you to do things that, if you don't trust me, are going to be really hard. Because Jesus is saying, in a sense, you have to choose. Who, who are you going to trust? Is it going to be yourself? Are you wise and understanding? You've got it figured out. Is your family, are they gonna, they've, they've got it all figured out. Or is it going to be Jesus? And when he says, take up your cross and follow him, he's not saying, don't, you know, he's not saying that, hey, everything is about this is going to be hard. What he is saying is, who are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust? And that's really important when we think about having rest in our souls. Because, because when we look at our lives, we often wonder, do I have it all together? Like, if you're a parent, you're wondering, am I messing up my kids? <laughs> yeah, probably. You know, just being honest at some level, right? What about the mistakes I make? What's going to happen with those? How are they going to affect everything? And, and you... You find rest for your soul when you realize God's in charge. Jesus loves me. He loves my children. He's not, he's not going to... I can't mess this up so much that he's not still in charge. His grace kill still can't work in the situation. He's, his grace is still can't, can't find my children and find me and bring them back to himself. He rules. 
rest in him. You know, in our culture today, productivity is key. You say, well, wait a second, rest? Like, who wants to rest? Like, rest seems to be like the thing I do when I get to 65 or 70 or 75 and I retire, then I can rest. But before then, no resting, you know, come on. It's heretical to say rest. (laughs) But Jesus is saying rest. He's saying you can find rest for your soul. You don't have to run the race of productivity and think I've got to build the biggest life and have the most money and provide the most for my family and I've got to be the one who has the most toys wins. And Jesus is saying, no, you can rest from that. Trust me. Follow me. See, in a sense, what Jesus is saying here, and the question that comes to my mind is what if the body of Christ is more about finding the commonness of grace and less about the commonness of activity? What if the body of Christ is more about finding the commonness of grace? I'm saying, look, if we're, we're constantly seeking to, to work out how... How, what is God doing in our lives? And we're sharing that with one another. Rather than thinking, well, are we doing stuff together? Are we, are we like, do I have someone that can, that can do you know, pickleball together? I can do that with them, or I can do this with them. And I, I want to have some people I can do stuff with. I get that. In fact, I think that's important. But what if the body of Christ is realizing there's unexpectednesses to life? Things happen. Friendships need to be treated with gentleness and lowliness and finding grace and not about demands. I just, this is, I'm teaching a class on, on how to talk about life and God and everything else, your faith. And we're going to talk about creation and the Trinity this morning. And I, this, this applies here. It's just kind of a, an interesting thought. Like, within the Trinity, okay, how do you think, like, I don't, we don't, they're all, none of them have to speak with their mouths, okay? So they can have conversations. We don't know how they have conversations. But we're, let's suppose they're having conversation, okay? And here's, here's the Father and the Son having a conversation, to me one of the things that's happening in that kind of conversation is the father and the son are talking about the spirit and they're saying man look at the spirit look at how he's doing so many great things and how he's how he's how he's providing so much help and how much encouragement and how much motivation and maybe this the father and the spirit are are talking about the son and and they're saying look look at the son and look how, how he does what the father asks him to do and look how he he provides and he directs and he and he guides the creation like they're they're finding things about one another i realize that they don't need to but I, the point is that they've existed from eternity past they they had to do something you know what i mean and I think one of the things they're doing is they're having conversations with one another about what they enjoy about the third. It's, n- it's not all about, and Jesus is definitely not saying, hey, Father, what's, what's good about me here? You know what I mean? <laughs> how, how great am I? He's not doing that. He's lowly. He's gentle. They're, they're, the point is gentle and lowliness goes all the way down into the Trinity. It's existed before creation. It's how the Trinity 
operates with each other. And if that's true at the Trinity level, then should not it be true with us? That we can be gentle and lowly. And how do we do that? Well, by sharing the grace, <laughs> by remembering the, the third part of the relationship. That it's not just you and me talking together, spending time together. It's remembering there's one other person that's always involved with the three, with the two of us. God himself. What if the body of Christ is more about finding that commonness of grace? So we're gentle with one another. We notice the unexpectedness of life, the weaknesses of life, and we're gentle with those. And we understand people suffer, and we're lowly with them, and we come alongside of them. This is the body of Christ. We, as a, as a body of believers, we want to be Scripture-driven. That is, we want we want we want to follow what the Word says. We want to be gospel-focused. We want to remember what Christ did for us on the cross. We want to care for one another like family. That's what we want to do with each other. But it's also about sharing grace. It's reminding ourselves of what God is doing day after day after day with one another. Because he does not leave us or forsake us. He's gentle and lowly with us. So, my application for this sermon is not go be gentle, <laughs> although you should, nor go be lowly, although you should, as much as have you experienced the gentleness and lowliness of Christ in your life? Has he treated you gently when you were hurting? Has he been kind to you? Has he slowed things down for you? Has he, has he been lowly with you? Remember those times and share out of that with others. Because if you cannot find those times, it will be difficult to share that with others. Body life. How we relate to one another. We cannot relate to one another well if we do not remember how Christ has related with us. He is gentle and lowly of heart. So take his yoke and learn of him and you will find rest for your souls. And that's my prayer for you this morning is that you will find rest. When you're getting up and you're thinking about work, you will remember you have rest. When you're thinking about your fears for your children, you will find rest. When you're thinking about the, the burdens and the challenges of life, you will find rest. Find a rest for your souls. Remember that you have a Savior who loves you, who prays for you, who is gentle and lowly with you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sharing through your word your heart and Christ's heart. You are gentle and lowly. This is who you are. And you share it with us by Christ going on the, to the cross, first of all, and dying for us, rescuing us from sin and death, paying the price that we could not pay so that we could be 
forgiven and experience your love and your grace. And you do that not with harshness, but with gentle and lowly of heart. Lord, help us to be gentle and lowly with each other. Acknowledging weakness. Being accessible to listen and care so that together we may share in the joy that you have. In your son's name we pray.